it feels like it's homophobic, but not that the story is, like that Cathan is. Yeah, like Cathan, you're a homophobe. Cerebro Secret Files, the bonus episodes of the X-Men podcast, where a homo and his friends dig deep into the history of Homo Superior. I'm your host, Connor Goldsmith, and with me today is official Cerebro lesbian correspondent, Sarah Century. Sarah, how are you today? Good. How's it going? What's up? I mean, <laughs> so much is up. I feel like so much has happened since the last time we recorded for the Karma episode. That was only like, a, what, two months ago? <laughs> I know. That is a shockingly popular episode, given how not popular Karma has been historically yeah. as a character. So I think maybe a lot of people are interested in who she is now that Vita's been spotlighting her. Or maybe just like the gayness of it all was intriguing to people. But I also think it's that you are a very beloved guest whenever you're on this program. After we did the Karma episode, the Jean Grey episode shot up into the top five. Oh, dang. It had always been doing well, but it, it was like a sudden like, sort of jump up. Yeah. Neat. Yeah. My brother hit me up yesterday to be like, I listened to the first like third of that Jean Grey episode. I'll get to the rest of it later. <laughs> Here's the thing about Cerebro. You can take it in chunks. My dad listens when he runs on the elliptical machine. And so he'll do it in like, you know, two or three installments, which I think is a totally reasonable way to do it. So we are here today to talk about a character who is not an X-Men character, which is why this is a bonus episode for the Patreon rather than a main episode of the show. But when we sort of bandied it about, I couldn't resist... Because I like chatting with you. I mean, you're about to become the first four Pete guest yes. on Cerebro very soon. <laughs> with the great Candy Southern. With the great Candy Southern. I saw some of your threads on Twitter and I was like, I'm not going to say anything here because I have so many responses. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm really psyched. Yeah. I think about Candy Southern a lot. All of the time, yeah. All of the time. <laughs> All day I dream about... Candy. <laughs> well, Southern. It's like Adidas, but it's like not... It's southern instead of soccer i guess (laughs) so we are here today to talk about vicky montesi probably victoria montesi if we're like gonna get real italian with it i noticed that in 1996's dr strange sorcerer supreme 90 the final issue of that series written by jm demateus they spell it with two s's and i was like oh shit it is montesi isn't it because it's italian but i've said montesi my whole life with the stress on the mon and i'm just gonna continue to say it that way because (laughs) we're american here and that's probably how italians (laughs) would say it in new york anyway (laughs) Victoria Montesi is Marvel's first lesbian character, period, Mm -hmm. full stop. There were, prior to her, obviously, lots of implied queer gals in the Marvel Universe, particularly in the work of one Chris Claremont, as we've discussed (laughs) at length. At length. But it took gay writer Christian Cooper, who was at Marvel at the time doing, I think, mostly editorial work, but this was his big creation as a writer 
Darkhold, pages from the Book of Sins, which began in 1992 as part of a new initiative called the Midnight Suns, which was an attempt to sort of build out a broader Marvel horror slash magic world around Ghost Rider, Blade, and Doctor Strange. And Morbius. <laughs> and Morbius. But, you know, who's counting? The Midnight Suns is kind of interesting because I do think that it's a really iconic moment in sort of 90s comics, but it was not really the hit that you would think, or at least that I think that they expected it to be. There's definitely a mm -hmm. cult following, but it sort of flopped to some extent, right? Like, yeah. And I think that the Marvel magic sector has been one of the weakest sectors at Marvel pretty much always, which is unfortunate because I like a lot of the characters. I'm big into magic in comics. I have enjoyed some Doctor Strange comics, but it's not, you know, it's just not as developed a world as, for example, the Vertigo world that Karen Berger developed at DC with John Constantine and Zatanna and Madame Xanadu and all those characters. Mm -hmm. The Midnight Suns on some level was an attempt by Marvel, I think, to replicate the Berger book's vertigo vibe right but mixed kind of with that 90s marvel aesthetic right right because it couldn't like marvel doesn't do separate lines <laughs> really like there was marvel max later yeah. that briefly tried to do sort of a mature readers imprint right but mm -hmm. like they weren't going to create because the vertigo stories at dc were not in the same continuity as the dc mainline titles except that sometimes there was like early on they kind of were. And then yeah. it, and like, now it's back. But and it now was... it's back. Like Black Orchid <laughs> and Hellblazer and Swamp Thing and Sandman all initially sort of did take place in the regular DC. But very quickly it diverges and you would see versions of the characters from it pop up in the main DC universe without sort of their vertigo tone or complications. And now, yes, after the New 52, Vertigo was killed and all of those characters like Constantine and Swamp Thing are just in the main DC universe now, which is a lot like the Midnight Suns. I mean, the Justice League Dark, which is always a title I find strange, Yeah, <laughs> is basically the Midnight Suns. Yeah, weird, right? As were the Sentinels of Magic around Infinite Crisis. The Shadow Pact is not that dissimilar. Mm-hmm, Yeah. Marvel had a robust horror comic history in the 70s, yeah. but that had mostly fallen off all like the Tomb of Dracula stuff and Son of Satan and all of that mm -hmm. by the 80s. And so in the 90s, you had this attempt to build out a new horror vibe because Ghost Rider was pretty big at the time, which is kind mm -hmm. of funny to think about now because like Ghost Rider is not... Like a top-selling book. But yeah. Then, they had Danny Ketch, right? So, like, they had right. just, like, put in all of this energy into Ghost Rider. Brand new character. It was like a Kyle Rayner or Wally West moment. A hundred percent. And I think a lot of the readers, after a while, were kind of, like, they tried to bring in too many Ghost Rider-y things <laughs> to the point of, like, that people being like, oh, this book is weird. <laughs> so it kind of dropped off. Yeah, well, the problem that Darkhold has is that... 
The Adventures of the Darkhold Redeemers are very street-level, grounded horror in that sort of Vertigo book way. Like, Vicky does not have powers, neither does Sam Buchanan, neither does Louise Hastings. Mordred has powers, but is not really a team member. He's just sort of like, he's like Q and they're like the (laughs) Enterprise, you know? Like, he just kind of pops up to either help or harm or cause chaos Mordred the Mystic, to be clear for listeners, is an obscure Marvel character who was introduced in the Marvel horror stuff in 1975. He is originally from the 6th century, and he had conflict with Merlin. (laughs) Merlin. So, like, is it the same Merlin as the Merlin from Captain Britain? Yes. Does that make sense? Not especially. Are we supposed to just go with it? Also, yes. And thankfully, the nature of Otherworld makes it not that hard to do that, right? Yeah. In this case, though, Merlin was replaced by an imposter of some... It doesn't really matter. The point is that Mordred gets tricked. And the reason I'm mentioning all this is because Mordred, the mystic, which has no R in the middle, is not the same person as Mordred, the son of Arthur and Morgaus. And since like King Arthur and Morgan Le Fay are around in Excalibur right now, I just want to be clear that we're not talking about the Arthurian Mordred, except that this Mordred also comes from Arthurian times. (laughs) But he's just a mystic. Don't worry about it. The point is he's... (laughs) The point is, he's like hundreds of years old, and he is uh, the thrall of the Darkhold because he sold his soul to it to save his girlfriend many, many, many years ago, centuries and centuries ago. It mostly just makes him kind of like chaotic, like because Khan, who wrote the Darkhold, is the elder god embodiment of chaos. Mm-hmm. Notably, the first time that the Scarlet Witch went crazy, it was Khan. Yes. Yes. Because <laughs> that's where all the chaos magic came from. And Wanda plays an interesting role early in Darkhold, Pages from the Book of Sins. She does. I like it when she pops up. It's so fun. I'm just Well, like, it's a great oh. mislead. Having Agatha yeah. Harkness completely misinterpret the Malachi prophecy because it sounds like it's about Wanda and she doesn't know Victoria is a great sort of like Greek tragic mm-hmm. beat. I like when people misinterpret an oracle. Like that's always fun, right? Yes. But yeah, so Mordred hasn't really been used much at this point since like the 70s. He pops up to futz with the Scarlet Witch in the 80s in the Vision in the Scarlet Witch. Like he's not oh, a super yeah. important character. I'm only mentioning him because he's the pre-existing character who kind of ties these characters to Doctor Strange and all of these other people because he and Doctor Strange are old enemies. Mm -hmm. Modred, who is enthralled to the Darkhold, but also hates C'thon, but also kind of loves C'thon because C'thon's presence fills him. It's like, he's a complicated character. (laughs) He's the one who draws together the three Darkhold Redeemers, Victoria Mm -hmm. Montesi, Louise Hastings, and Samson Buchanan. Buchanan is an Interpol agent. He's hot. He's just like a big beef stick. Louise Hastings is a 60-something Barbadian Black British professor of archaeology at Oxford who is an occult expert but has no magical talent herself. And Victoria is a first-year resident, fresh out of medical school, from 
Rome, but her mother was American, so she's treated with disdain by a lot of her peers because they see her as a mongrel, which is a little odd, but you know what? <laughs> I, like, I, Here's the thing. It's, it's a throwaway in the first issue. Mm-hmm. The writer on this book, Christian Cooper, is a black gay man. And first of all, Louise and her grandson Jinx, who becomes an important character later on, are both major black characters in this book. Victoria is a lesbian. That unfolds somewhat slowly over the first like seven or eight issues. We meet her and her roommate, Natasha Salvato, called Nash, who is a karate instructor who has like a short haircut and like is kind of a tomboy. Victoria is very femme glam. Honestly, they look like Haruka and Michiru from Sailor Moon. Oh my god, yeah, they kind of do, huh? Oh, yeah, she even has the uh, the sleeves rolled up. <laughs> yep, and it's about the same time, because this is 92. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so when there's a problem and Nash helps Victoria fight off you know, some goons, she's like, that's my roommate you're coming at. Like, they're very, it's very clear, <laughs> like... They call each other roommate or friend in the early issues. But in that first issue... She has a key to her apartment. And Victoria doesn't know why people are after her. But she has a very strained relationship with her father, Vittorio Montesi, who is a priest of a high rank at the Vatican. They have a strained relationship because... First of all, being the daughter of a Catholic priest is weird, right? She has to explain it immediately. She says, my father says that our family is special and there's a rule about the priests in our family marrying and having children. Sounds like bullshit to me, but that's what he always (laughs) told me and he's still a priest, so I don't know. He also has spent her entire life filling her head with stories of the Darkhold, which she thinks is a delusional conspiracy theory that he believes in rather than something that's real. The Darkhold was created in 1972 by Jerry Conway in a Marvel Spotlight story. And that is just worth mentioning because Jerry Conway will later crop back up. Yeah, later in the story. But so, yeah, Nash has a key to Victoria's apartment. They're being hunted by people for some reason, people who want the dark hold. And Vicky starts to realize maybe there's something to this. Vicky can't find her key. So Nash opens the door and it triggers an explosive that was meant to kill Victoria. Vicky's in a coma for like three days. And when she wakes up, her father is there. And it's clear that she does not like her father and does not want to see him. Sam Buchanan is there because Interpol has sent him to be her bodyguard at the behest of the Vatican. And Nash is a quadriplegic and she's not able to see her. It's a pretty tragic opener. It's a tragic barrier gaze kind of moment, except that Nash lives. So, you know, there's that. But it's not necessarily the kind of life she would want she's an athlete and she can't even speak anymore yeah she's you know the former karate instructor Um, right it's very sad it really is and it is kind of interesting how it plays out but i like that i believe even in that first uh, uh the first issue Whenever the guy is just like, oh, you two were close. And Vicky's just like, yeah, really yeah. <laughs> like, 
you jerk. Like it's very clear that that's what's happening. Yeah, roommate is bolded. In yeah, this yeah, each yeah. Bubble. Like it's, big. it's not. <laughs> so as the story goes on, you get lines like you know Nash, who's like dearest in the world to me, or whatever, my dearest closest friend. At one point, though, suddenly she says, "My lover," and we don't know who she's talking about. But if you're paying attention, she's talking about Nash because who else was grievously injured who she wants to be with and protect. Then, as the story unfolds further, we learn that the reason she and her father don't get along actually doesn't really have that much to do with his wacko conspiracy theories about the Darkhold or the weirdness of being the daughter of this Vatican priest. It's because he disapproves of Victoria being a lesbian. Yeah, which he says pretty plainly, right? He says you're living in sin with that woman. Yeah. That's where you're like, oh, okay. Shortly after it's confirmed that way for the reader, we get first a very visceral sequence in which Nash's parents attack Vicky at the hospital physically. Oh, yeah, that's messed up. Oh, my God. Because they blame her. She's like, she converted our daughter into that lifestyle and then nearly got her killed. We never want to see you again, Um, which is pretty upsetting. And again, like, In the North Star episode, Steve Fox and I talked about how after North Star comes out in 1992, this same year, they don't say the word gay with him again for many, many years. He doesn't have plots about being gay. Yeah. They don't say the word lesbian anywhere in Darkhold, but Jinx is about to call her a dyke when she stops him. Yeah. And like, he's going to like, I'll punch you in the fucking mouth if you say that. Yeah. And you see the D, so it's not like subtle as to what he's about to say. Right, because she also has just gotten back from seeing her girlfriend. Right, who's been failing without her, and it's like a whole thing, because now the parents have banned her, and the doctor's like, she only gets better when you're here, and if you stay away, I think she'll die. So it's like a pretty brutal story. It's an awful situation. And unlike North Star, it's not shied away from. And I think that is because it's, I think that is because this is a book that was being marketed to adults. It's like, this is the mature reader's line, this Midnight Sun's line. Whereas I think X-Men was still seen as a book marketed primarily to kids. And I think that's why it doesn't, like these aren't superhero characters. I think that the idea of having superheroes be gay was just really incendiary for a long time Mm -hmm. yeah 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 and she is the hero of the book like she's kind of there's an an ensemble cast but a lot of what yeah but it's about her revolves around her for sure I just Googled Nash Salvato and the Marvel Wiki. First of all, it's wrong. It says she only appears once when she appears multiple times throughout Darkhold but also all it says is Nash Salvato was Vicky Montesi's roommate and it doesn't list her as a lesbian character. So I'll fix that later because uh, that's really poor. Especially since so much of her story is defined by her queerness. Like she really suffers for being a queer character. So yeah. It's like maybe give her some props for that, for the love of God. Like what is wrong with you all? Um, uh, yeah, because it's so on paper by the end of it. Like it yes. kind of drags you through like a little bit, but well, because the other thing it does is that Sam Buchanan falls in love with Vicky over the course of the <laughs> book. Hilarious, which I love. But the book plays them very much as like two characters who, if it were like a regular comic, would end up together. And then right after the scene with Nash's parents. 
and this is when Vicky is, you know, not in a great place because she's being influenced by Kathan. But that's a side note. She walks in and basically like he is all but confessing his love <laughs> to her. And she's just like, I'm not into boys. Yeah. <laughs> this is not a great time for this at all. But also, And it's really embarrassing for him. He's really humiliated. Yeah. But eventually she's like, I think we should be like best friends though. And he's like, you mean bosom buddies? Like as in a <laughs> lesbian joke. And she's like, shut up. <laughs> it's just interesting because his arc, so Darkhold as a book is basically a procedural. It's a lot like actually the show Angel, which I've talked about, which I really love, which came later, seven years later. Mm-hmm. Basically, it's they're an occult investigator group. Louise is the researcher. She's like the watcher type character. The muscle is Sam Buchanan, who's this tough Interpol agent. And then Vicky has no powers, but because of the Montesi connection to the Darkhold, because it turns out the reason they're allowed to marry and have children is because the Montesis are incorruptible and mystically pure and have therefore been tasked with guarding the Darkhold, which is basically the Marvel version of the Necronomicon. It's this really evil, ancient, old book that makes you crazy if you read it, but like not really crazy in the way that like I joke, like really makes you fucking crazy. Yeah. But also can give you vast mystical power. It's all very Lovecraft. Yeah, super Lovecraft. If the Kassan didn't uh, key you in, it's yes. very Lovecraft. It's very much that. Vicky has no powers, has no magical training. She is a medical doctor, which is helpful. I realize she predates Dana Scully. Mm, Oh, yeah. Which is interesting to realize because that's Scully's whole thing is like, I'm a doctor. And that's what Vicky says every time they hit a crime scene. She's like, excuse me, I'm a doctor. (laughs) So that's her thing. I can't leave this woman. I'm a doctor. And then it's like, yeah. Well, she takes the Hippocratic Oath really seriously, and she also, like, takes the obligation to help people really seriously. Like, she endangers them a couple times because she won't leave a dying person behind if she thinks she can save them. The plot will always contrive to kill that person so she can go, no, and then run away. But it means something that she is self-sacrificing in that way. Her power, as it were, and this is why it reminds me of Angel, is that she has visions. The visions are new as of the start of the story. They've been happening to her for a little while before the story begins. Her visions are all connected to the pages of the Darkhold, which she doesn't realize is what's happening at first. But basically, centuries ago, a bunch of mystics tore the Darkhold apart and scattered the pages around the world so that no one could gather them. Doctor Strange has the book that has like most of the pages, but there are all these loose pages circulating. The thing is, unless you have inborn magical talent, which is called being an adept, you can't really use them. So it hasn't been considered that dangerous, except for some reason, the Darkhold is supercharged lately, and there is a mysterious dwarf who we later learn is an imp which is why he manifests in human form as a little person which is like i would say that's the one element of this book that's aged not super great is the like it's very like lynchian it's very david lynch i mean even whenever he first shows up you can tell that the references are working overtime because they've got that checkered floor and like you know all of that Yeah, exactly. And this is like two years after Twin Peaks premiered. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's like still very much in the cultural conversation. This 
guy, he's just called the dwarf as far as I know, is traveling the world, giving people these black envelopes which have dark old pages inside them. The pages are selected clearly like very particularly for each person to give them their darkest desire, desire, like exactly what they want, but in a way that will kill lots of people and further Khan's goals on earth Mm -hmm. which are to return to this dimension early on the scarlet witch gets sort of overtaken by a trance state where she turns into like a creepy chalk skin demon looking lady and she chants a prophecy the prophecy which is called the malachi prophecy and she's never heard it but agatha harkness certainly has and is not pleased about it and dr strange is not pleased either when he hears that that's what's going on Wanda chants it in Latin. Janet Van Dyne is like, she's speaking in tongues. And it's like, Janet, it's Latin. It's like not, like, like truly the wasp because she's clearly never been to mass because it's like not, <laughs> it's not a crazy language. But when you translate the Latin, it's a child born of no man and a woman marked by sin. Daughter becomes mother. Then will the great return begin. And it prophecies the return of Cthon to our dimension, which he has been banished from since the dawn of time, etc. Agatha and Strange assume that the prophecy is about Wanda because a retcon during the wacky Cthon wanda storyline established that Cthon had influenced her when she was an infant and like unlocked her chaos magic potential or whatever. So that would be the woman marked by sin. And then a child born of no man, Agatha interprets as referring to Wanda's twins with Vision, who is a robot. Those twins are now dead at this point in the story. They will later return as (laughs) Wiccan and Speed, but this is long before they return as Wiccan and Speed. So they're just like, uh uh-oh, that means that Cthon is trying to return to Earth through Wanda, and that's who the prophecy's about. That's a complete mislead, because as it will turn out over the course of the story, Vicky is the subject of the Malachi prophecy, because her father, who was the guardian of the Darkhold, was sterile and could not produce children, and was afraid that the Montesi line would end, and was therefore tempted in the most poetic incredibly stupid way which is that he uses a fertility spell from the dark hold to continue his line to protect the dark hold from people using it which is like no way that's gonna go wrong yeah like he's like get on over here person who's gonna impregnate my wife (laughs) like well no it's he thinks he did it i think is does he Yes. Oh, because it was fertility. It's a fertility okay, spell. I just made that connection. Yeah, yeah. Right. So the this happens toward the Darkhold is a 16 issue series, and this yeah. happens toward the tail end of it. This is revealed finally. Louise Hastings figures it out midway through, but then Louise is killed, which is a yeah. pretty shocking moment toward the end of Darkhold. She's a character I would love to bring. I back. love her. Oh my god. Yeah. We're not we're not quite to that zone yet, I guess, but I am like That character blew me away through this whole series. Like, I loved her. Every time she shows up, she's hilarious. Her interactions with every other character. She's so so funny. She's really smart. She's great with a gun. She's unfailingly moral, but also really pragmatic. She's just a great character. And she loves to give Sam guff, which I really appreciate. Which I also enjoy, right? So, yeah, that's the arc for Louise. Louise is an old friend of Victoria's father. She finds a letter like that Vittorio, I guess, wrote for her, but that she hasn't 
he hasn't sent it to her yet or so it's complicated there's a lot of letters that never get sent in dark (laughs) hold basically he thought that the fertility spell had worked and he'd had a daughter but then he consulted with a doctor to double check and found that he was still sterile and so he realized it didn't work and therefore who is the father of this child and the answer is (laughs) Kathan is the father of this child so for the whole story, for all six, and this is like twist, spoiler ending, I guess, but it's this is what's known about the character generally. It's kind of Darth Vader-esque. Like, this is the twist of Darkhold. Because for the whole book, the Ungari demons, which, by the way, if you remember the Ungari from uh, Claremont's first oh, yeah. issue, first full issue without any, you know, other people's plots, on X-Men, where Moira McTaggart shoots at Kirok the Ungari with a machine gun. We've talked about this on the show. The Ungari are Kathan's children. They are like these, you know, writhing, teeming chaos beings that pour forth from cairns. They're fun. (laughs) They're fun. Early in Darkhold, they attack the group and Vicky appears to be invisible to them. And they all decide it must be because she's a Montessee, she's incorruptible, so Cathan's minions can't see her. At the end, she realizes, wait, they could see me. They left me alone because they see me as one of them, which is a great twist. They're like, what's up, buddy? (laughs) There's also something I think really metaphorically appealing about the priest's lesbian daughter who he disapproves of being the child of the devil that he asked for. Yes. There's like a very, because it's basically like, fuck you, dad. (laughs) It's fine that I'm a lesbian. And then it's like, oh, he actually really doesn't like you because he knows that you're the child of an ancient evil. But it doesn't help that you're a lesbian because he also doesn't like that. Yeah, um, homophobia from parents (laughs) definitely plays a pretty strong role. Big role in this story, yeah. Yeah, which I think we wouldn't maybe have gotten if we... If there had been straight writers, right? Like, maybe, right. but it's hard for me to say. I think also a lot of this is such an explicitly, like, queer narrative in mm-hmm. many ways. Because I think that it does hit all of these great parts with Vicky. Like, it always is hitting these, like, great character beats that kind of... Uh, yeah, it's like, in comics of the time, there was, like, it, there was so much kind of weirdness and judgment towards queer characters. And you just yeah. didn't have them ever come out. And this, it comes out because she basically has, like, no interest in this guy who's, like, everybody right. else thinks is a hottie. Yeah, and to go back, that's why we tangented, but part of why I really, really like the Sam's in love with her arc is that the big twist halfway into Darkhold is that Sam is working for the Darkhold cult, mm-hmm. except it turns out he's not. He thinks he's working for Interpol, but Interpol has been compromised by the Darkhold cult. yeah. So, <laughs> which is fun. Which is fun. It's like a it's like a triple twist on the reader. I also like whenever he's like fantasizing about his like life with Vicky or whatever. And I know, like, and they're You're like pain in my backside, and I love but you I more. love you, and she's like, kiss me, you fool. And I love it's it all, so like, much. So stupid. <laughs> I laughed. But what convinces him to try? He thinks that Vicky and Louise are part of the Darkhold cult, and he's yeah. observing them for Interpol. What convinces him that she's telling the truth and that his superior at Interpol is not, Degusman, is that 
first of all, they've had all these adventures together and he's seen what a good person she is, but also he has fallen in love with her. Mm-hmm. In many stories, the resolution would therefore be, and now they are together and that's his reward for choosing the right moral path. Except in this case, his reward for choosing the right moral path is to be told, oh, I'm a lesbian, <laughs> be incredibly embarrassed, but then spend the rest of the book insisting on continuing to be her bodyguard. Yeah. In the very last issue, I want to say, she's like, why are you risking your life for me? And he's like, because it's my job and because some part of me will always love you. Yeah. But like not in a way where it feels like he's pressuring her, like to he's not being weird. He's just like, what do you want me to say? Yeah. Yeah, I think that he isn't weird about it, which, yeah, once again, that's almost why it has to be by a queer writer, (laughs) because anybody else would make it weird. He is, like, a goofball, and he's, like, a little annoying about it, but it's, like, as soon as he realizes that there is no way she's, like, ever going to be into him, he is not just apologetic, but self-chastising about it. Like, he's like, how could I have... He can't believe he didn't notice that she was gay. And that she was, like, so, so torn up about her... Her girlfriend, (laughs) who is in a coma and completely paralyzed. Yeah, and he's like, maybe she's just, like, having a bad day or something. (laughs) Like, maybe my love can change things. And it's just like, man, So funny. So, like I said, it's a procedural for the first... It's basically like, Vicky senses one of the Darkhold... Oh, and by the way, to go back, the reason she can sense the Darkhold pages is not because she's a Montessi and has this intuition. It's because she's the daughter of Cathan, is primordially connected to the Darkhold because the Darkhold is his other child, right? As it were. It's his other creation. So they're, like, intrinsically linked. And the whole book, they're looking for the gateway, whatever it is, between realms that is supercharging the Darkhold pages and allowing normal humans to use them who are not adepts with magical talent. And it turns out that the gateway is Vicky. Yeah. More specifically, it's Vicky's womb. Yep, just the womb, please. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, and this is a plot that I think is interesting. And actually, um, it's just so funny because I don't know how much Joss Whedon read Darkhold. And I certainly don't know how much the developers at Konami read Darkhold, but it's very similar to the big twist in Silent Hill 3, which is a pretty classic horror game that came out... Late 90s? Early 2000s? 2003. I was double-checking it, because like the series started in the 90s, but 3 is 2003. Now, it's not... Crazy, like Rosemary's Baby is more what's being referenced in both cases, I think. Yeah. But... The heroine... Oh, sorry, there's an emergency alert. A flooding alert. Um, yeah, yikes. We're going to just get more and more of those forever, right? Because Cathan is here. Cathan <laughs> is the friends we made along the way. Yeah. Um. <laughs> and Rosemary's Baby is one of my favorite horror stories. I'm a big Ira Levin fan. He wrote the novels, Rosemary's Baby and The Stepford Wives, both mm-hmm. of which I really love. And Sliver. <laughs> And Sliver, yeah. And then I do love the Roman Polanski movie with Mia Farrow. It is just one of those things where it's like, do I approve of Roman Polanski? No. Is that one of my favorite movies? Yes. Is that something that you just have to navigate with art sometimes? Yes. You know, I've talked about how with comics, there are a lot of people who are revealed to be bad actors or to be abusive guys. And I don't think that if a work of art was important to you, that you should throw it out. I think that 
you do have to grapple with that kind of stuff. But luckily in this case, Christian Cooper, who creates Darkhold and creates Vicky and creates all of this stuff, he doesn't create the Darkhold itself, but the book Darkhold. He also was an editor on the issue where North Star comes out. Yep. One of the editors, right? One of them. Yeah, he was an associate editor is my recollection. Awesome. And he was young at the time. Like at one point he's credited in Darkhold as like Chris Jailbait Cooper, which made me laugh. I don't know how old he actually was, but famously to people who are not in the world of comics, he was in the news in a big way last year because he was the black man birdwatching in Central Park when a racist white woman called the cops and lied about him after they had an argument and it was like a whole thing. Basically, what I'm saying is he's a good dude. Like, I've never heard a single bad word about this guy. So it's nice to go back to a classic comic and be like, I have nothing bad to say about this person. I have nothing (laughs) bad to say about this book. Even though it's the early 90s, I have nothing critical. (laughs) Yeah, like, really, my only critique would be like the evil dwarf. And it turns out he's not human at all. So it's not like it's literally an evil dwarf, which is still bad. Yeah. In some ways, like I, un- I would understand if like from a disability analysis perspective, one might not like that character. On the other hand, disability plays a pretty significant role throughout exactly. Dark Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. Jinx, Louise's grandson, who is an adept, it turns out, and who Modred starts training in magical arts toward the end, is blind in one eye. Or actually, maybe he's not, but he has like a filmy cataract and like a birthmark. He looks kind of like Domino from X-Men, actually, mm-hmm. like with a spot Which over his eye. Which people are like very aggressive about. Like, Yeah, there's a nasty scene where yeah. some street heavies try to beat him up and they are like calling him like blind boy or whatever. Yeah. But I think he may actually be blind in that eye. I, th- it's, I don't actually remember. But the point is, he seems to be a character, at least who presents as having a disability in his tree badly because of it and then Nash is a really interesting case because one of the big climactic things toward the end of the series one of these procedural issues because each issue is Vicky senses one of the pages someone has succumbed to their darkest desires after being given one of the black envelopes which Vicky almost does right well that's the thing is and then they have to figure out the whole adventure and redeem the page which mm-hmm. means like purge it of demonic influence so that it's just a piece of paper they are however always indestructible which is fun because again Vicky doesn't have powers but sometimes she'll hold up a dark cold page to like deflect a bullet or something which is a fun gag and she's just like you know she's like indestructible sorry I love it but yeah toward the end the dwarf finally appears to Vicky and gives her an envelope because this is after Nash's parents physically assault her and are like stay away from Nash and after the doctor has just told her before the parents arrived she's been failing ever since you left town she only starts to get her health back when you're visiting and if you're gone for a long time I think she will die within a few weeks because Nash at that point is awake but can't speak it's clear Vicky has something of maybe a physical therapy background in addition to her doctor training because it's all implied but you get the sense that over the course of many visits she has helped Nash learn to put up a thumb in a thumbs up to say yes like to acknowledge the conversation because Nash is quadriplegic since the explosion and can't otherwise move or communicate easily 
after she's told that Nash is dying and only seems to get better when she's around. And then Nash's parents tell her, if we ever see you around our daughter again, you know, we'll fucking kill you. Like, get out of here. She's sort of at her wit's end. She's like, Nash is going to die without me. And it's my, and they're right. Also, she's like, they're wrong about me converting her into a lesbian, but they're right that she is in this position because she loved me. Yeah. And I didn't know that. I didn't bring her into danger on purpose, but this is still my fault. Right. Like, maybe if I'd listened to my dad about all this Darkhold stuff and didn't think he was crazy. Yeah, she misses her through the whole book, you know? She talks about her constantly. Yeah, it's like, if there's a panel of Vicky, like, chances are either she's, like, fighting with somebody or she's, like, thinking or talking about how she misses her girlfriend and it's super sad. Fighting with someone, theorizing with Louise, having, like, a bantery argument with Sam that he thinks is flirting but it isn't, or... Like, it is so tropey as a thing. Like, he teaches her how to use a gun. Like, they do all of the romance stuff. It makes perfect sense that he, as a comic book character, believes that they're going to end up together because they do all the things comic book characters are supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And then it's just, it's not to be. So the dwarf approaches her after this altercation at the hospital and gives her an envelope. And it's like, it's finally your turn, Victoria. She gives in and she uses the page because she's told it's the only way to save Nash. She is usually a very morally strong character. So it's notable that the only thing that really does fuck her up to that extent where she is willing to sell her soul to the devil, essentially, is the idea that Nash is going to die and it's her fault. And there's never a time going forward where you feel like she's compromised in the same way, which is, uh, yeah, we're talking about a character that's just kind of over a handful of appearances, but over the years, even whenever she has, like, other flirtations or anything like that, you never get the feeling that this is somebody who she would be put in that position over. So I think that it's an interesting love story because so much of it happens off of the page, but it's also, like, I mean, it's so clear, and it's also really heartbreaking by the end. Yeah, my assumption, it's never been said on page because Vicky has not been used that much since Chris Cooper finished Darkhold. Darkhold concludes with issue 16, which is in 1993. And then... She basically cameos for a while in Doctor Strange, but like, we'll get to it. It's like very much cameos, like she can't speak. Then she has a more major role in the final issue of This is Doctor Strange, Sorcerer Supreme by J.M. DeMatteis and Mark Buckingham. She has a more major role in the final issue of that book in 1996. And then... She's gone for 20 years. Yep, 20 years. Until Jerry Conway brings her back in 2016 in his Carnage series with Mike Perkins because he's doing a whole plot with Cthon and the Darkhold, which makes sense because he created the Darkhold back in the 70s. And it's nice that he brought Victoria in because, like, for example, there's a big Darkhold event happening this year and I asked Steve Orlando, is Vicky going to be in the book? And he was like, unfortunately, no. We had a really limited page space and we had, like, five heroes we needed to focus on he's like but I do love her and so you know if he gets to write more Darkhold stuff I bet she will pop back up but yeah so in 2016 after 20 years in real life she pops back up for this interesting plot and she has a female love interest in that but it's never that deep it's like a fun flirtation and my assumption is that in the intervening 20 years of publication Nash has died yeah it was kind of my assumption too although I wouldn't be surprised if she hadn't died and they had just worked something out, I guess. But at the same time, 
I'm pretty sure nobody is going to return to that character because it was so much a part of like Christian Cooper's arc, I think. Yeah. It's one of those characters who I would love to see again. Like I would love yeah. to see Nash make a comeback. Whenever Vicky shows up in this Carnage series, it's so funny to me though, because she's sitting in um, a limousine, that limousine. And she has that like white dress. It's like, yeah. first of all, oh my God, girl, what are you doing? You just showed up white dress hot. Like, oh my God. She just like shows up <laughs> on the panel and it's, it's just like. <laughs> Looking stunning. Yeah. I'm a lot of faith. This is how I feel. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> just are like, oh my God, I'm in love with this person. And she's very interesting through that entire series, but she's like the primarily interesting part of it. And a lot of yeah, the rest of it is like, I don't think that book is particularly great. I am a Jerry Conway fan. He's good. He did create Zaladane in uh, a Kazar Marvel Presents series. So my <laughs> podcast is very indebted to him. The reason I think Nash has died, like, and that's my assumption, is that... The Vicky we meet in the Carnage series, first of all, has like expanded the Midnight Suns into a more gender neutral group, the Children of Midnight, that is now like a global anti-occult, evil occult anyway, organization that fights the Darkhold cult that has persisted all this time. She doesn't seem like she has a lot of human concerns. Yeah, she's kind of untouchable in that run, I think. And I think that if Nash was still alive, she would feel like a more vulnerable character. It yeah. feels like the only thing you could really hurt Vicky with is gone at this point, which That's makes sense because like, yeah. Nash got real fucked up. Like the fact that she lived at all was a miracle. What I like though, just to go back to the disability theme is, so yeah, Vicky uses the Darkhold page, succumbs and creates essentially an evil twin version of herself that starts traveling to all of the past locations where the Dark Old Pages have been and killing everyone there. And then it finally arrives at the hospital and Vicky, like, basically has developed superpowers. She has become this, like, glowing angel with healing powers. She starts to heal Nash, but it's finally explained to her that the counterbalance to her healing power is that this demon that she's created Every time it kills someone, it boosts the power for her. And every time she heals someone, the demon has to kill more people. <laughs> Here's the thing. She's going to do it anyway. Because she's <laughs> healing Nash. She's like, at this point, I'm sorry. Like, I got to do this. And Nash stands up and is like illuminated in an angelic light herself. Stands up out of her chair. Looks like she did in the first issue where she was this very vibrant, athletic, you know, lively person. And just leans in and kisses Victoria on the forehead. And it's like very clear that it's like, I don't want you to do this. Yeah. Not for me. Like this isn't right. Mm -hmm. Victoria realizes how far she's now fallen, rebukes the demon, eradicates it. And when the scene returns to normal, Nash is sitting in the chair, quadriplegic again. But when Vicky looks at her, Nash gives her the thumbs up. And it's like a very moving scene i cry it's really it's really good it's such a good ending too because i mean it's not uh, it's not the, it's last, the last time it's, nash has ever seen it's not the end of the whole book but there's like the a end few more of, issues after that yeah right? it's almost the very end because it's like the last darkhold sort of specific plot before darkhold redeemer's specific plot i mean before the siege of darkness event that's across all the midnight suns books it's a franchise-wide event i guess which is where we find out that Vicky is pregnant, even though she's never had sex with a man. Like Sam's like, but I thought she's like, I have never 
ever. But Vicky, who is pretty smart, once she reads a letter that Louise left behind before Louise was killed by a possessed Morbius, don't worry about it. But do worry about it. It's really fucking sad. Uh, but like, Morbius, you know, <laughs> of all characters, like I'm just, Morbius. Every time he shows up, he kills somebody. <laughs> like he's like Wolverine, but by accident. It's true. Yeah. Basically, there's this whole plot involving the blood who are this ancient race of like immortals. Don't worry. Th- this truly you don't have to worry about. <laughs> but Victoria eventually finds a letter that Louise wrote and it explains the truth of how she was born. And Vicky realizes that she's pregnant because she's been having morning sickness and I guess takes a test because she's a fucking doctor, right? <laughs> and it's like, you know, it's like, what's going on with me? There's enough magic weirdness afoot that, like, she considers the possibility. Yeah. She realizes that she is the subject of the Malachi prophecy. She is the woman marked with sin because she was born via a spell cast from the Darkhold. And the child now will be born of no father because it's a parthenogenic birth, which means that the part that says daughter will become mother is Khan created her to be his mother on Earth. And the baby that she is gestating is Khan's new body that he's going to enter. And then when she births him, he will end the world. That's the plan. So that's the end of Darkhold. Darkhold ends before that. Like the 16th issue is like part of Siege of Darkness. And then there's a Marvel Comics present story that Chris Cooper also wrote where Vicky finds all this out. And what happens after that is Doctor Strange takes her in and we learn in Doctor Strange 90, which is three years later, that he has put her in a time stasis anomaly there was no way to abort the pregnancy. It's like, Kathan's too powerful or whatever. It was like, well, we're going to have to freeze you in time because we can't allow the pregnancy to progress. And that's why Vicky hasn't been seen since Darkhold was canceled. In that issue, a demon called the Midwife appears in Strange's Sanctum Sanctorum. She's a creation of Kathan. Her purpose is to bring forth new life. And she overrides the time distortion and vicky is suddenly in labor like in labor (laughs) yeah strange is like i have to put her back into stasis and vicky's like please don't you don't know what it's like i've been floating in nothingness it's torture and he says okay but if i don't the world is gonna end because your baby is kathan and she's like right yeah okay forgot for a second yeah put me back in stasis so again she's like she is sort of apart from that one real lapse when she uses the page in Darkhold, she's pretty unfailingly self-sacrificing yeah. and moral, which is interesting because she's not nice. Yeah. Like, she's not a nice person. Which I love. I yeah. love the not nice white dress lesbian. Yeah, <laughs> like, not nice but kind is, like, one of my favorite character oh, archetypes. Love it. Not nice but moral, you know? Yeah. Basically, then in a whole complicated, very like narration boxy fight between Strange and Cathan in Cathan's chaos dimension, Strange manages to disrupt the connection between Cathan and the pregnancy and it all gets whatever disrupted and Vicky is now saved, although she still does appear to be pregnant, which is interesting. And the midwife turns on Cathan because she's ordered to kill Vicky and the midwife is like, 
I am loyal to Cthon, but I also was created for a specific purpose, and my purpose comes first. So if I am a protector of new life, I can't let you do that. So she offers to stay with Vicky and train Vicky in whatever, you know, mystical things will be helpful with all of this. But again, we then don't see the character for 20 years, which is unfortunate because she's really great. There's just so much to her. We never even really get a resolution with her and her father, like her human father, which I would have liked to see. Darkhold feels like a hero's journey that finally turns Vicky at the end into like a superhero. Mm -hmm. And then the character is never used again until (laughs) 20 years later. Like we said, 20 years later, the FBI essentially enlists her and the Children of Midnight, formerly the Midnight Sons, to help them catch Carnage because Carnage is being influenced by Cthon is using the Darkhold and yada, yada, yada. My understanding, actually, I asked Steve why Vicky wouldn't be in the new Darkhold. And he said, the Darkhold from Darkhold Pages of the Book of Sins is the medieval version. It's like the Necronomicon. He's like, that's not the original copy that Cthon wrote on like scrolls. That's what the Darkhold in this new miniseries is. It's like the real old one. Like someone's found it and that's a big problem. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Which I think makes sense because if you look at the Darkhold pages from Dark, like it's a, it's a book, like it's a bound book. You just have to like um, kind of up the stakes anyway in a new story. We've already seen. Yeah, a new story that's almost 30 years later. You have to. Yeah, tend to spice it up. <laughs> but I hope Vicky turns back up. I would like to know what happened to the child. Yeah, what happened to the child? What happened to Nash? Like what happened to Vicky in this ensuing time period that made her kind of turn off a little bit to like the people around her like how did this thing form like all of it like (laughs) where is I want to know everything it feels like there was 20 years of publications and stories that we just never got because it's like when we see her again it's like oh all kinds of stuff has happened yeah but then it's like but where's it at like there's no place to read that story (laughs) so the weird thing in particular is that in the Jerry Conway Carnage series, it's established that because she's Khan Spawn, Victoria's aging has been slowed and she's looked about 30 now for decades, is what we're told. Right. It doesn't make sense because she's like 27 or 28 in the Darkhold series. She's fresh out of medical school. She can't be this immortal character. It doesn't work. So that's part of why I'm like, I don't like the art is stunning. Like she looks stunning and she gets to do cool stuff. But and she flirts. I love to see flirts. Yeah. Anytime there's on panel flirts, I will like arrest like all <laughs> other thought and just be like, this story is great. They're they're flirting on panel. It's just interesting because it kind of makes her like John Constantine in vertigo. Because the idea of like There are 20 years that we haven't seen, except like in Marvel time, 1996 to 2016 has only been like two years. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. It's complicated because the way that the story of Lincoln's here, it definitely reads like it's been decades since the incident with the Cthon baby and she still looks the same. Well, Midnight Suns was like the issues right after that X-Men crossover. So Right. Like, and they haven't aged 20 sense. years, you know, yeah. like it doesn't, it doesn't really work. 
but yeah, I would like to see more of her. I'd like to see Sam Buchanan back. I don't think he's been seen in a million years. Yeah, he's kind of funny. I feel like he's such a stereotypical character, but then he's not. Like, he's created by, like, such an interesting writer that I think that the writer just takes that bizarre, kind of, like, bland character and turns him into somebody who's actually really interesting. And really somebody, interesting. Yeah, somebody who you would actually kind of root for, which is very rare for me. And, like, that that... Um, like in that archetype type. of like yeah, the archetype. straight guy with no powers who's like a cop who's in love with a lesbian because who's in love with a lesbian <laughs> you have no idea you know it's like the number of people who like have just yeah too many people fall in love with me that aren't lesbians or like that aren't that are straight men basically and it's happened too many times so every time I see that play out on the page I'm like oh no <laughs> and then it's yeah. like but it, in this, I think it resolves so, so well, like that it didn't really change anything other than it actually made me like Sam, which huge surprise. Yeah, but like, I don't think he's appeared since the series ended. I don't think Jinx has appeared at all since the series ended. Jinx was fun, too, I thought. He like, was. He, That's a character you could very easily bring back now. Yeah, especially like somebody who like, because he says a bunch of offensive stuff. <laughs> so Yeah, he's like an asshole teenager. I think he's literally 14. Yeah, and so if you see him like have gone on this big like longer story, then it would be really fun. In the same way that we see like that happen to Vicky, kind of. I would love yeah. to see Jinx come back and be like a badass mystic. Like that would be so cool. What's interesting is that like, so he is also very attracted to Vicky, but because she's like a grown up and he's 14, it's like very silly like flirting he's just like being rude yeah except the second he finds out she's gay and it's the same scene yeah. where like sam and jinx both realize this sam is embarrassed but not like weird about it and mm -hmm. jinx is like what you mean you're a dyke like that yeah. is his reaction and then after that he's like back off i don't want to catch aids which is like oh, yep oh my this is right before Louise dies and she comes down the stairs and she's like, what the hell are you talking about? Yeah. That's a really ignorant thing for my grandson to say. Yeah. And I we're going to have Louise. a conversation oh about this. Oh my God. <laughs> she's so good. You said that and I got like little chills because I was just like, God, Louise really is like the best though. Like I love Vicky and I think Sam is super enjoyable. But to me, I read this series and I'm like, Louise just rules because it's like she adds this kind of like, wild card energy sometimes where you're just like so what's happening now <laughs> she's a character that's unlike any other that's ever had a major role in a marvel comic serious like yeah a postmenopausal black grandmother who's an academic with no powers but is really essential to the plot in every issue and who's buds with vicky already so i love when they show up at that haunted yeah house and she's together. like oh louise <laughs> yeah they just both happen to show up there because mordred has arranged things but yeah part of it is that louise is friends with vicky's father yeah her human father so louise when she realizes the kathan of it all it's interesting sam is humiliated because he didn't realize vicky's a lesbian Louise is humiliated because she didn't realize that Vicky's a demon. <laughs> and it's like simultaneous. They're yeah, they're like, wow, how was I here this whole time and didn't figure this out? And like Louise has known her since she was a baby, presumably. Yeah. Because Vicky's like, she's the only one of my father's friends I've ever liked. Yeah. Yeah, which is sweet too. I really enjoyed their friendship. I also think that in that Darkhold series, kind of in the background, you see some pretty good Wanda Janet moments. And it just made me yeah. remember how much I miss those two. 
Well, Janet is one of the heroes Wanda's enlisting in the new Darkhold book. I love that so much because I love those two, but I always, like, Janet, come on, like, Janet deserves so much more screen time. I miss Janet. I think Janet just gets screwed by the Hank and Jan of it all. I know, I hate it. You know? It bums me out. Because she was so good. Especially now that she's not the Wasp in the movies. I'm just not sure she's ever going to be really at the top of the heap again. It really bums me out because whenever she was the leader of the Avengers, so good. It was cool. I loved it so much. Hey, everybody. We're doing things a little differently today because I'm excited as Connor Goldsmith, your host, to tell you about the podcast's extraordinary new sponsor, Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is an incredible mobile game, every comic fan's dream. In this mobile squad RPG, you can assemble a team of your favorite superheroes and supervillains, like Dr. Lorna Dane and the iconic Madeline Jennifer Pryor, to save the universe from cosmic threats like Apocalypse and Doctor Doom. Power up your favorite Marvel characters to complete missions, unlock special gear and other resources, and battle other Marvel fans in PvP modes like Alliance War in the real-time arena. Right now, Marvel Strike Force is celebrating their six-year anniversary with a special Deadpool event, and you can sign up using my unique link available right now in the description of every episode. You'll get free stuff in the game just for signing up through this promotion, with weekly bonuses and events all through this anniversary storyline. Log in every day to get special skins, rewards, and the brand new characters being released to celebrate six years of Marvel Strike Force. This is the game's most generous event to date, and I, for one, can't wait to see all the goodies I can unlock. This promo code works for every new user. Please follow the unique link in this episode description to download Marvel Strike for us so they'll know I sent you. Use the promo code MAXPOOL. That's M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Have a blast with this immersive Marvel experience. Thanks to Marvel Entertainment and the team at Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. We now return you to the show. X-Men, X-Men. But anyway. <laughs> anyway. No, it also... And this is something that I do think takes a page, so to speak, from Vertigo and from Sandman in particular, is it goes to great lengths to humanize the victims of the Darkhold, both like innocent bystanders who get killed, but also the people who use the pages. Even when they're bad people, you realize that they're like broken people or, you know, like sometimes they're just totally don't realize what they're doing. Other times it's like, okay, this racist in Hawaii is a soldier who served in the Pacific in World War II and has a lot of feelings about Pearl Harbor. And that doesn't make it okay that he's a racist. But it's his motivation. You actually see it. Right. And, you know, Louise is like, listen, I remember Pearl Harbor. I was a girl when that happened. I was in the Blitz. Yeah. I get it. But this is the future. Japanese, Americans, Britons, we all need to work together now to, like, make the world a better place. She sort of talks him down and then he dies from, like, his energy being expended by the Darkhold or whatever. But that's a very nuanced character that I think, again, owes to the fact that someone who isn't white wrote the book and was interested in exploring this kind of stuff. I mean, to go way back, I think that the mongrel throwaway line in the first issue, it's a xenophobic thing of like, we don't like her because she's half American. Mm -hmm. But again, it feels like, I mean, that's very racialized language, right? Yeah. And of course, in the end, it turns out that she is a mongrel, but not in the way that anyone thought, which is that she's half demon. Demon. Yeah, like she is actually like mixed race, but in the sense of being mixed species. 
you know, there's just a lot going on here. It's a really interesting book. It's a quick read. There is a TPB collection called like the complete collection that collects all of Darkhold and um, the Doctor Strange issue with her going into labor and then like a couple little Midnight Suns Unlimited and Marvel Comics present stories. It's a great trade. I picked it up for like 30 bucks, which was worth it because I really enjoyed revisiting this as one like straight through read. I found really, really enjoyable. Because I hadn't really looked at this stuff since I was much younger. I've just always thought she was cool and wanted her to come back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? And uh, I have a pitch. So if Marvel's listening, um, give me a call. And Sarah, you know what? We should, frankly. Yeah. Oh, my God. I am We should write that book. That's I am what... <laughs> so on board. I am there for it. I am 100% there for it. Like, I'm that's like... a co-write I would want to do with you. Exactly. I'm perfectly honest. All right. Well, I am available anytime for that because I also love this character. I think she's great. I remember reading Darkhold back in the 90s um, and not too much of it because all of the Ghost Rider stuff was hit and miss for me. And confusing. Yeah. I, like, couldn't always figure out what... Because it was franchise-wide events all the time. Like, the Midnight Suns plots would happen one chapter in Darkhold, one chapter in Night Stalkers, one chapter in Ghost Rider, one chapter in Doctor Strange, and you would have to follow it. And I'm, like, a kid. I'm not, like, aware of how to do that. Yeah. It's easier with X-Men because they all had, like, X in the titles. You just grab those. Like, I wasn't really thinking of, you know... Yeah. I better buy the next issue of Night Stalkers, which is about dudes, so I'm not going to buy it. Like, yeah. that's just not my way. <laughs> and it's, like, the hardened, like, gruff, like, detectives. Yeah, that's part. Blade and Hannibal King and Frank Drake. And- yeah, which it actually kind of turns out to be an okay series. But, like, uh, whenever I was looking back at this, it was because I love Ghost Rider so, so much. And I just famously love Ghost Rider. I'm like the lead lesbian Ghost Rider fan in the world. And I am always advocating for like something interesting to happen in that universe. Mm -hmm. So there's times whenever you look back into the past and you're like, wait, really interesting stuff has happened in the Ghost Rider universe. But it's usually whenever it's like branching out into like new worlds. It's like, I know a lot of people are kind of hit and miss on Johnny Blaze stuff from like the 70s and 80s. And I kind of understand that. Um, But whenever Danny Ketch comes in and then they do Midnight Suns and like all of that, it gets super interesting. The stuff with Lilith was really cool. Well, so that's what I was going to say is like Lilith to me, I mean, the thing that I always say about Celine on the show when I'm talking about Celine is that Celine is a character who is conceptually brilliant, but hasn't really had the good story yet yeah and Lilith is sort of the ultimate in that because like Celine is a metaphorical Lilith character she's yeah. like the mother of mutants she is a metaphorical vampire yeah. like all of that stuff Lilith the ghost rider villain who brings the midnight suns together as an antagonist is literally the Lilith of Hebrew folklore and is the mother of all demons, has one of the coolest 90s designs there is. She looks amazing. Her head is a Kirby hat. She yeah. has like sort of pointy horns and then it's like, and like very spider <laughs> Yeah, it's like between the two horns, it's like, is that her head? Is that her hair? Is that a Both. garment of some kind? What's going I actually, I read that one shot recently about her where they gave her a new design that I thought was pretty weak, which was unfortunate. I'm sad about that. They took away the pointy hat. Come on, that's such a that's quintessential. That's what we're yeah, waiting for. That's exactly. why we love this character. She's so fun when she pops up because she's like pulling like through the dirt and she just like like climbs up out of the dirt and is just like yes. <laughs> I'm like, yes. I love when it turns out that the reason like she's been 
out of the Marvel Universe for like millennia is that she was trapped in the Leviathan for like thousands of years and she's just like, ah, oh, finally got out of that whale. It's like really fun. I love it. So that's a character I just don't think anything's ever quite been done with that meets the potential of the character. She's fun yeah. in these stories, but she's very like Queen Beryl here. Like yeah. she just kind of shows up to go like, my minions, go. Yeah. I have an evil plan, but the it's not. The children of Lilith. <laughs> yeah, the Lilin. Because, yeah, she gives birth to supervillains. Yeah. Like, spontaneously, <laughs> full grown, which is delightful. So honestly. good. And they're just like, what do you wish of us? <laughs> what do you wish of us? I exist only to serve you, mother. And it's like, oh, this is dark. I love it. Well, and that's an interesting parallel for Vicky, right? Like, to what we learn is, like, Vicky's purpose is to be the mother of a demon. Like, yeah. the greatest, most horrible demon. So, because Cthan, like, Mephisto thinks he's king shit. Like, Marduk Curios, who calls himself Satan, is the father of Hellstrom and Satana. Yes. Like, he thinks he's king shit. Hela thinks she's, like, the best. Cthan is basically, like, the elder god demon who all these people are cribbing from at the end of the day. Yeah. So it's real serious. I love it. <laughs> and like, I haven't read a ton of Ghost Rider after that 90s material. I haven't read a ton of Doctor Strange since the end of that 90s material. Like, I'm just not, again, because I don't read that extensively outside of X, but I'm always like hoping that something will happen for the Marvel magic world, for the Darkhold Redeemers, for Hellstrom, son of Satan. I mean, Hellstorm. I know. Hellstorm by Warren Ellis, which again, like to go back to like creators who disappoint you. I love that book. That's one of my favorite 90s Marvel books. The art is ridiculous. It's yeah. like the most 90s you can get. But like, where is Jane Cutter? I want to know. Jane, I know. God, I love that series too. Uh, I haven't revisited it since all of this. So God knows. I just bought the Omni and was like conflicted about it and was like, it's on sale. I'm going to buy it. And so sure. I bought it and I, I will revisit and see what I think. I just don't think those characters get their due. I mean, like I love, for example, the concept of the witches miniseries. Cause uh, I love what an, I love Jennifer Kale. I love Topaz and I love Satana. Man. But that mini sucks. It's so bad. And like, it's one of those ones where I've gone, I went back maybe three times to reread that series because I couldn't like. Praying that something (laughs) would be good in it and nothing in it is good. Nothing in it is good. And like, they're just, it's like, they're so weird and catty to each other in this way that it doesn't make any sense. And uh, yeah, no, Satana is just awful. Satana's completely out of character. She's such a fun character. Whenever Satana's she the up best. In the 70s, like, she's incredible. She kind of vanishes, and, like, now we barely see her. You know, she's still always off doing something, I assume. She was in Teeny Howard's Strike Force book. She was, bit, yeah. And, like, room, which was nice. And she did a stint on the Thunderbolts. Like, she's been around, yeah. but not enough. Yeah. Because Satana a, should always be around. She's so much fun. She's so good. And especially with the horns on her head, that's my favorite, favorite, favorite. Like, I love it so, so much. When we were like bantering before we did this, we were just talking about Satana. You were like, God, I love Satana. And I was like, Satana should always be in every book. And you were like, I agree. And I was like, whenever Satana isn't on panel, all of the characters should be asking, where's Satana? Which is a reference to the Poochie episode of The Simpsons, which I explained to a 20-year-old in the Discord recently because I make reference to it a lot on the podcast. And 
she had not seen The Simpsons. So it was <laughs> a moment of my own mortality. <laughs> Whenever we talk about like those magic characters, I think that one of the things that really bums me out about all of these characters disappearing is it's literally like half of all of our queer characters, right? Like at least it's like three fourths of all of our queer characters. Jennifer Kell is confirmed bisexual. Jennifer Kell is one of the earlier bisexual characters, yeah. Oh my god, and I just got finished rereading the early Man-Thing appearances, and whenever mm-hmm. she shows up, she's, like, stolen a book from her grandpa and dragged it out into the swamp with her, like, white-bred brother, and is just like, we're gonna summon a demon, and he's just like, maybe we should go home, Jen. <laughs> That's the other thing that witches did, the mini that was so stupid, was kill off the brother. Killed off the brother, who's, like, a really fun character, because he was, like, the opposite of Jen, like... They're a pair, yeah. and so it- it's no wonder that Jennifer Kale hasn't done much since then because you killed off her supporting cast. And you never will keep up that attachment to Man-Thing that she has. Like, it's, it pops right. up every now and again. Well, they barely keep Man-Thing. I mean, I loved that Steve Orlando threw her into Curse of the Man-Thing in a little cameo yes. recently, which was nice. Something that bums me out about the Witches miniseries, again, is, is that Satana in the Thunderbolt series treats Man-Thing as if, like, it's, like, basically a god and has mm-hmm. this, like, full reverence and is like, are you feeling okay? <laughs> like, the whole time. And, right. like, loves that character so much. And, then, and never mentions that she was in a coven with Jennifer Kale. <laughs> and then Jennifer Kale also in that, yes, exactly. And then in that series, it's like, Jennifer Kale is all, like, combative with her, but it's just like, why would she be combative? Like, they both, like, love this same character, right? But then it's yeah. like, that comes later, but it's just another thing where it's like, Nothing about this miniseries makes sense, and going forward or going backwards, none of it makes sense. So, well, and part of it is that it was a pitch that then was rewritten by a different oh author yeah. because it was in development hell for really, and like a lot of the art had already been drawn before it got rescripted. Is uh, my and understanding. That art, so it's cool. just there's a lot going. The one really cool thing it does is, and this is just funny because it's just like. There's no comment on it. It has never been explained. Topaz is a character who's from India, but in Werewolf by Night, where she was the Werewolf by Night's love interest, that's the thing is it brings together these characters from various horror books. Satana is the female supporting character from Son of Satan. Topaz is the female supporting character from Werewolf by Night. And Jennifer Kale is the female supporting character from Man-Thing, who sometimes pops up in Ghost Rider because Noble Kale is her ancestor or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> And so Topaz, previously in Werewolf by Night, was portrayed as a white blonde woman who just happened to like be born in India. That continued as she became a supporting character in Doctor Strange for a while in the 80s and 90s. But then abruptly in Witches, she just like is a South Asian Indian woman. And, and like... it's never explained. And someone asked the writer and artist and they were like, well... It seemed like a more interesting direction to take the character, and she's not a particularly famous character. And if we didn't do that, she and Jennifer Kale are essentially identical white blonde women. So Yeah, it's interesting. We wanted a visually distinct three characters. Mm-hmm. Topaz, by the way, has not been seen since the Witches mini. I so hate it. unclear if that's stuck. Better stick, though. Well, Carrie Harris's new book about the witches that's been solicited, there is a witches prose novel coming about okay. those three characters. And they're on the cover, and it's like contemporary designs for Jennifer and Satana, like the white hair and the horns on Satana instead of the red hair. And Topaz is still Indian. So clearly that's, I mean, I think turning her back would be very strange. Yeah, I like that they didn't make a big deal out of it and they just let it go. They were just like, they just didn't explain it. 
it's better this way. If you ever wanted to explain it, you could be like a Dr. Glitter Knight cast an illusion or whatever and just like move on with your life. Like, yeah. It's not that important. Marvel has so few South Asian heroes that that's another reason I think Topaz would be a really cool character to bring back. Yes. And her and Jennifer Kale almost definitely banged, as did her and Satana. Well, it's very Charlie's Angels, right? Like yeah. the Lucy Liu, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, Charlie's Angels specifically, where they all kind of feel like they're fucking. Yeah. You're like, <laughs> I, I, listeners, you cannot see the eyebrow action. Yeah. <laughs> that just happened. Yeah. But um, yeah, no, I love them. And I think that that's just, it's like, there's so much queer representation. So I think to tie it to Vicky, right? Yeah. They're all written out. Like we don't see any of them anymore. And so that's such a big, like that's only four characters that I just named, but four queer characters that are canonically queer in Marvel that just haven't appeared at all. <laughs> like for like 20 I don't years. think Topaz ever was like canonical. There's like a reference in a comic where it's kind of just like wink, wink, nudge, nudge, like the witches, right? Like that kind sure, of thing. Sure, sure. Um, so yeah, I guess maybe not. You could go there, certainly. Yeah. And yeah, Jennifer Kale, Satana, and Victoria Montesi. All queer, yeah. Are three of the queer women characters at Marvel and are kind of nowhere. I mean, like, nowhere. Jennifer Kale didn't even make that Pride Month cover. I know. I did know. she? It's really I don't sad think how she did. Jennifer Kale just gets. I don't think she did either, but I also just think, like, no matter what, the way that she gets, like, right now is such a bummer to me because it's like that Man Thing series is so strong because when she comes in, it's like almost like a weird mystery novel for teens all of a sudden. Yeah, she's like Nancy Drew in a chainmail bikini. Yeah, and like, yeah. But less creepy than that sounds. (laughs) Yeah, no, it is. It's not that creepy. And it goes into like this weird fantasy world and like all of this. It's so good. Because she's the descendant of Jaredna from the Hyborian Age, the sorceress. It's so fun. So she wears Jaredna's like Conan the Barbarian era outfit, (laughs) which is fun. It is fun. You know, it's just, I, I miss those characters. And I think that. Marvel magic is one of the really untapped in the way that like DC has refocused with Justice League Dark and brought in Constantine and really revamped Swamp Thing and is like trying to push that corner of their world. I think it's overdue for Marvel. I've speculated. So Tanel and I were talking about this on Twitter. That's like my prevailing theory for what Hickman is doing next Mm -hmm. is Doctor Strange and all of the magic stuff because it's like one of the sectors of the Marvel universe that has always been really poorly fleshed out. Yeah. Outside of this one minute with the Midnight Suns in the early 90s. It just doesn't really exist. Also, the big, big Marvel movie next year is the Strange and Wanda movie. Yeah, so and it they're doing a Morbius sense. movie too. So. Well, that's Sony, though. I don't think Marvel cares <laughs> about that. Right, okay. And, and Morbius isn't magical, also. He's like a science. Right, player. right. Which is he's so a midnight funny. sun on a technicality. In his comics, too, whenever he's always like, I can't believe in that. I'm a scientist. And it's like, but you're like a vampire. You might want to start exploring your alternatives. Like, that's all yeah. I'm going to say. That guy is goofy. Like every issue, and he's like, I'm a scientist. Yeah, that's how Louise ends up getting killed because Blade offhandedly mentions, he's like, you three are really upsetting my like mystical senses about Vicky and Jinx and Morbius or something. It's like two other characters in Morbius. Everybody just sort of is like, yeah, of course, because Morbius is a vampire. And then like three pages later, Louise is like, wait, 
Morbius is a science vampire. And then Morbius, who's like been possessed or taken over or whatever, rips her stomach open. I mean, it's pretty... Morbius. Yeah. What a jump. <laughs> At least she figured it out before it happened. Like, that is what you want for like the wise character if they're going to die is like... To it's solve enough, the like, mystery oh. before and it's like oh i solved it but you're just too fast like i just fucked up <laughs> can't get out of this it's too late that's a bummer darkhold's good you should read darkhold diabolique is fun there's a lot of just fun weird shit in this book yeah i like um i think i l- kind of in some way or another enjoyed all of vicky's appearances it's mm-hmm. even the ones where i was like Man, because that Doctor Strange one where she, the pregnancy and stuff, I was like, oh, I almost... Well, she's so passive. Yeah, I, it was like, I almost got out of this without, like, a forced pregnancy narrative, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I thought I was going to escape scot-free, but I did not. Yeah, well, that's another way that she is similar to the plot of Angel. In yeah. The, the visionary, the female character who has these visions that drive the procedural plot yeah. then ends up beset by endless supernatural pregnancies because that's just such a trope yeah with vicky though i think again it's like sort of it's a very queer narrative thing because i think that in this you know it's it's always meant to disturb what happens it also happens to dana scully notably on those tv shows because the actress got pregnant mostly. Yeah. yeah but and also because there's just this like long-standing women yeah. getting pregnant they did it with troy like well and you know that's funny is that that Troy script was like they slapped that together it was supposed to be a plot about Lieutenant Ilya from phase two that became Star Trek the movie and then like Ilya and Decker get rewritten as Troy and Riker Mm. and they just had that script lying around and they were like in such a rush at the beginning of season two of that show that they just changed the names and used it for Troy which is why that episode doesn't really make any sense and doesn't feel at all like Troy yeah right because it's not it was not written for her as a character yep like we'll just give it to this other lady yeah why not well i mean that was sort of troy's life story right like i don't feel like she ever had like actual plots that were written for her which sucks because i love her except for the stuff with her mom which is great which like like, uh, once again i love the locks on like oh my god i'm a mark for a major barrett character um (laughs) but so anyway this is not a star trek podcast the reason i think i like it with vicky is because it feels like it's homophobic but not that the story is like that Cathan is yeah like Cathan you're a homophobe yeah it's like Cathan is forcing this lesbian to have a baby when she has no interest and like not that lesbians don't have children but she's like when she says to Sam I have never yeah she's like this was something that was nowhere near (laughs) yeah she's like there has never been any kind of semen situation in the Victoria Montessi world. That's not <laughs> something that's happened here. No semen, the Vicky Montessi story. No, no <laughs> semen, thank you. Vicky Montessi's tale. <laughs> I like it because the body horror of it in that Rosemary's Baby way is really accentuated by the fact that she's a lesbian yeah. who doesn't want a child. Right, because Rosemary does want a child. Like, that's yeah. the big point of Rosemary's Baby is, is right. she wants it at all 
cost at the end, you know? The realization that the pregnancy is demonic is the horror of Rosemary's baby, yeah. whereas the pregnancy itself is the horror here. Relatable. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I got I wrote a paper in grad school about that trope in film and television. Yeah. I used Cordelia Chase and Dana Scully and actually Laura Roslin, who doesn't get pregnant, but there's a... She has the blood transfusion from Hera, the baby, and oh, so there's this yeah. whole kind of like... Basically, I was writing about how in supernatural narratives, including the Bible, for instance, women's bodies become a medium, like, and a spirit medium, specifically, yeah. like a yeah. medium for understanding the divine, like she has to give birth to it for it to be something you can understand. The ineffable gets birthed into a recognizable humanoid form by the female character. Yeah. Scully gives birth to this half alien child. Cordelia births Jasmine. Yeah. It's like that beat over and over again. Well beyond just those characters. like Yeah, those are just two that I used because those were really popular shows around yeah. the same time. Yeah. And like shows that I had really loved. And obviously like Scully's plot is a lot more empowering than Cordelia's. So it depends on how you, you know, want. but yeah, still kind of off though. <laughs> but yeah, like... either way, it's something done to her. The truth is out there. And the way Mulder comes to understand the truth is Scully has to give birth to it. I know. That's sort of the thing that, you know, so I tied that conceptually to like the concept of Republican motherhood and how like in early American thought, the idea that like the nation was only as good as its women because they would give birth to the children of the nation. And so like, yeah, it's like that our relationship with the divine is only as good as these heroic female characters are because they're the ones who can birth understanding. This was a grad school paper and I'm going at length now and it was it's probably boring. I haven't revisited. Um, but <laughs> well, I mean, it's relevant, though, because, like, it really does... It's exactly what happens with Vicky. And I know what you're saying, where it's like, yeah, it does feel like Cathan... Well, Cathan almost unquestionably is a raging homophobe, I would just assume. I don't... He's so chaotic that I feel like... I don't think he has a problem with gay people, but I think that bigotry and hatred are things that feed That feed him, on. yeah. So it's stuff that he is very... Insecurity, weakness, trauma, these things feed him. And so traumatizing Vicky with this whole situation helps birth him into the world. My problem with it is that because Darkhold gets canceled and the plot gets wrapped up in Doctor Strange, Vicky has no agency in the resolution of the plot. Yeah, it does is a real bummer because I think Demetrius's voice for her is really it makes sense yeah like she is a well-written character but the story around the story's about strange because it's also the final issue of Dr. Strange Sorcerer Supreme so it has to wrap up Strange's arc yeah so it like wraps up Strange's arc by having him defeat Khan yeah and say Vicky but it means that Vicky's arc from Darkhold is resolved by Strange saving her while she lies on a table and goes, you know, so not ideal to me. Where you're always saying strange. I just now remembered him being the uh, person who helped Scarlet Witch through her birth. Yeah. Well, and that's why I appreciate the Jerry Conway story in Carnage, because even if it's not my ideal story for Vicky, and even if it doesn't quite fit with the character from before in terms of like, the immortal thing which just doesn't track i mean yeah. i love it but it would need it needs to be a new development like she can't have been active for decades because again she first learned about the supernatural in 1992 <laughs> and the other characters haven't aged that much i know but that aside i like it because it's sort of the corrective the way that cordelia's 
return in season five of Angel is like a corrective to that Cordelia plot. It gives her an opportunity to go out on her own terms, to be like, I'm a hero. It's not going to be perfect because obviously all the things that were happening behind the scenes on that show, we don't have to get into it. But I love that episode as like someone who that was my favorite character on any TV show. And I was really upset about what had happened to her. Similarly, it's really nice to see Vicky Montesi show up and be a bad bitch who's like running this organization and all of that stuff. But it's not exactly what I want for her. Her characterization is good. And once again, the story is not a Vicky story. So you can kind of just like push it through in a way and be like, I wouldn't really recommend it if people were like, oh, so... I need to find new Vicky content. I would be like, uh, I mean, you could read this. And she is herself in it. Like, which yes. I really do. Appreciate. She's in character for That's sure. That's the thing. He, like Jerry Conway, he's like always nailing it with like a lot of characters. I've seen him do really great characterization. And then it's always mm-hmm. like, I don't always love the story around it. I loved like some of the stuff, but it was a carnage story, like essentially. Yeah, which that's my problem is like, I'm just never into symbiote stuff particularly. And it's all over the story. (laughs) Yeah, it's like a symbiote ass story. And I was like, well, okay, there's enough Darkhold in here that I'll read it. Yes. Because I just like want to support my girl Vicky. She's fun in it. Yeah, and the art, she looks stunning, like you said. So that's kind of worth looking at if you're a fan, but... In terms of what I would want for the character, I want spinning out of this Darkhold event for there to be some kind of Marvel magic ongoing that she's in, that she gets to be the protagonist of again in a way that she hasn't been. And that's where you could put Jennifer Kale. Frankly, she and Jennifer Kale could fuck. That would be fun. (laughs) That would be super fun. They're both it. kind of femme. Like Vicky seems more into sort of like Nash is much more of like a soft butch kind of characters. But Jennifer sometimes has a short haircut. I feel like you could make it work. And we also really haven't seen it. Like, so it's like, I mean, I date all kinds of people. So right. Like, yeah. Like it's very, I, I just remember there's a scene when she's visiting Nash in the hospital yeah. and Nash's hair has grown long. She goes, we got to do something about this hair. Yeah. Which is a funny <laughs> beat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like the idea of her and Kale. I also just like a bunch of queer women hanging out together. And that's pretty much They could just be friends. Any Marvel magic series would have to be a bunch of queer women hanging out together because there's no way to avoid it. You can't avoid the fact that all of these women eat box because we've known they do since the 90s. So like get with the program. I mean, Satana has been like a bisexual succubus since the 70s. They just couldn't be super explicit with it until more recently. I do appreciate that Angela fans want Angela and Sarah to be together. And I'm with you on that. But I did think that with Sarah off the page at the moment, the Angela and Satana thing in Strike Force was very funny. That like it's not it's fun. not played as like a serious relationship, but having Satan uh and Angel uh hook up is funny. Like it's and just a funny thing to do. They're both like so um like I'm gonna say like high sexuality that it's just like yeah you just see them in a oversexed room it's over like, the top yeah we've all been in the room with some like a couple of people who are definitely like immediately upon meeting each other super into each other and ready to have sex <laughs> so it's always just kind of like everybody like looks at them and I felt like that's what that part of Strike Force was was like these two just like 
emit so much sexually charged energy to the mm-hmm. room that like I mean Angela's a spawn up. character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't get much more horny than like a Todd McFarlane nineties <laughs> co And that works for the men right? too, right? Because like yeah. literally Peter Parker was like definitely trying to fuck <laughs> like all the time during like McFarlane years. Oh yeah. Well and that's the horniest Mary Jane also. Yeah, for which sure. Which I love. That's I like love. chain smoking era Mary Jane, which is my favorite Mary Jane. When like Peter's like, you need to quit smoking. And she's like, actually I don't need to do what you tell me because I'm a grown woman. I love her so much in that <laughs> whole era because it's like not only is her like costume design on point, but you actually get why they like each other and why they Yeah, they feel a like couple. a good couple. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's like you oh you're like, yeah, you've been like career mourning your first girlfriend or whatever, but like I don't know if it ever really would have worked between him and Gwen. Well, here's here's the reality because we can talk about this on this bonus episode. Gwen Stacy is an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> that's the thing that's really like if you go back, I honestly find the ascent of Gwen Stacy baffling. I understand it conceptually because well this is actually let's save this for the candy southern episode because (laughs) yes i'm happy for people who love the new spider gwen character who is a new character from an alternate earth yeah earth 616 gwen stacy was horrible (laughs) to everyone around her at all times and the fact that she dies in a way that is like the original big fridging like yeah I get why that politically is something people want to correct. Yeah. But Gwen was dreadful, <laughs> which is why Mary Jane won out in the end, even though she was introduced as a complication for Peter and Gwen's relationship. Oh but God. she was so much more likable as a character that it became impossible not to go that direction. Everybody was so moved by like the death issue of Gwen Stacy. And the part that I think is so good in that story is the like the issue after a couple issues after maybe a flashback, I don't remember. But whenever Mary Jane is like, he like Peter just like curses her out and it's just yeah. like yeah like you really give a shit like you, you care because she's the jokester she's like the groovy kid yeah who's like, like now you like you want chill to out tiger you know and, like, yeah all of that and like uh, Mary Jane like goes to leave and then she like closes the door and then sits down with him again and is just like hey <laughs> like like let's you talk. need to yeah you and need someone to talk to and, and that's why Mary Jane is the greatest like when I'm people a big talk Mary about Jane her fan. not having any personality i'm like well there's that's just fucking stupid and that's why i get so mad when like when the video game made her like a plucky reporter i was like that's not mary jane like mary jane is already a really cool character just let her be mary jane because she's both a theater kid and a jock and that is the perfect combo in a person and that is why she's certainly the perfect combo in a human love interest of a superhero yeah she's you know she's great anyway this is not a Mary Jane episode, <laughs> but I'm a big Mary Jane Watson Parker fan. Yes. I have not, literally, I have not read a Spider-Man comic since they did that. Not one. Yeah, it's been a while for me too. Yeah, it has to be. I've glanced at him in past, like I, I read that Spider-UK story because Roma and Saturnine were in it, <laughs> but I truly have not picked up like a Spider-Man comic since they got rid of Mary Jane because I'm just yeah. like, no, absolutely not. Yeah. Anyway. Side note. So I put out a call for some questions in the Patreon channel on the Discord server, which is fun. Do you use Discord at all? You might not like, really, but in. I should I should hop in because I feel like this Discord would be very fun. 
It's really fun. It's the only place I really ever want to talk about comics anymore. There are <laughs> yeah. a couple like the Comics XF Discord is also chill. I just like quite honestly, I can only I, I can barely keep up with my own podcast Discord. So like reading other people's Discord channels is hard for me. Same. But you know, I don't really want to like discourse on Twitter anymore. It's rough. Or just saying anything on Twitter. <laughs> like, yeah, you don't right. You have to discourse and it turns into that. It becomes comments. discourse. Well, particularly now because like the account has 5,000 followers. Things just start to go. I yeah. mean, I, you know, and I get it, but it's just like, I don't want to argue with people. Yeah. Or have like reply guy stuff where it's just like every <sighs> yeah. post somebody has to like slightly miss the point of the post and comment. So we got a couple questions, and I am going to read them. Justin Park writes, can my question just be what? And he posted a screen cap of the following bit from the Marvel wiki. Victoria being pregnant with her father, Cthon, in Doctor Strange Sorcerer Supreme might be a reference to Cthulhu, the daughter of Cthulhu, who will also give birth to her father after his death. Maybe, but I was just like, oh, don't worry. We'll get into the Cthon is his own grandpa thing. It's don't We worry. agree. What? That's what, what? We, that's our comment as well. <laughs> but that's also Vicky's reaction. Yeah. Is, excuse me? We're all there with you. <laughs> Her immediate reaction actually is to steal Sam's gun and try to kill herself. And then like, she can't bring herself to do it. But she comes really, like, at the last second, she turns the gun as she fires it. But she's got it, like, pressed to her temple. She felt what that much? Yeah. So a couple of people asked sort of a similar question. Catlix UFOs wrote, is there a way you both think that could work for Victoria to make a triumphant return to any comic? Bronte wrote, what kind of series do you want to see her in next? Like a solo mini or maybe a team book? Just in general, what's the next step to make her a more relevant character again? If I recall correctly, the last thing she was in was the Carnage series with Cthon. That's correct. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Nunboy wrote, in a world where the Midnight Suns got as big as the X-Men, what would its 2019 soft reboot look like? And what would Vicky's role be in it? So those are all good questions, those right? Those are really good questions. And I think that it's very possible that the 2022 soft reboot something by Jonathan Hickman is exactly what's about to happen to the Marvel Magic line. So yeah. that is a, a good question. So there's a couple questions there. Yeah. But it's all sort of like, how do you bring her back? How do you make her relevant right now? Which, like, in the interest of the fact that we will probably pitch this series <laughs> at yeah, some point. We're not going to go too far too hard on it. into depth because we would like to pitch this. Like, I was completely dead serious when yeah. I said that. And I cannot think of a better duo. But I'm going to no, say... No, me neither. I mean, unless Chris Cooper wants to write a new one, but oh, he yeah. seems pretty busy. And <laughs> frankly, if he'd like to help, Chris, give us a call. Give us a call, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> I think that if I love Vicky so much, but what I think is great about Vicky is she is somebody who works so well on an ensemble cast. Mm -hmm. I think that she was all of the glue that made that first Dark Cold series work. And yes. I think that that's true in the Carnage book, too. Like, as much as it's not really a Vicky story, she is the point of the story. They revolve around her. Yeah. The other characters. She's the one who brings them all together, like all of that kind of stuff. So her being in a role as kind of like a Machiavellian, like strings puller, I'm totally into. I would love to get more backstory, but I would mostly just love to see her interacting with a larger group of people. Yes. Because I think that that's where she works. I think she should be essentially, and I don't mean in personality, but I mean in terms of function. 
I think she should be like the Emma Frost of the Marvel magic world in the way that Emma is currently operating with Hellfire Trading and the Marauders and presumably given covers and stuff will take on maybe an even bigger role after Inferno. You know, I think Vicky should be a character that people like Doctor Strange go to. Yeah. To like organize things. Like Doctor Strange is not really a leader in that way. Yeah. And you see that every time they try to put him in that position. That he's it doesn't really work. bad at it. He's yeah. super arrogant. He doesn't listen to other people. And it's like, even as wise and great as he is, and like he does get to a place over time like where he does listen more this is somebody who like a whole like universe shaking stuff was happening with Clea while they were like living in the same house and he just never noticed right so like so I think that where you go is you create a new iteration of the Midnight Suns yeah and what you do is you bring in like Doctor Strange the Scarlet Witch Magic Wiccan and then a bunch of street level characters what about you could do like a revolving cast, right? Like you could Yeah, have them... it could be like whoever's needed for the situation, yeah, you know. Which I would love. But Vicky is the like the Amanda Waller almost, yeah. like organizing the team together. I was going to make that comparison earlier that she's kind of an Amanda Waller in that co- Carnage book. In know? the Carnage book, yeah, right down to the white dress, yeah. which is like very akin to Amanda Waller's checkmate white mm-hmm. queen thing. So like, yeah, Emma Frost or Amanda Waller pick a white queen, but that's <laughs> what I want. Yeah. Because I think that, like, I don't want to give her powers. Yeah, I don't think she needs them. But I do, as you brought up, that, like, trick that she does with the, like, pull the page out and deflect a bullet. Yeah, is awesome. It's just important, I think, that she doesn't have powers. That's, like, sort of an important part of the character. I like it, yeah. I think she should be able to do magic rituals and stuff. But I don't think she should have superpowers. And so, therefore, I think that the role that makes sense for her as a character is to be the person at the base who is leading the team, but also goes into battle, puts on some Kevlar, gets a gun out, like, because she can do that. There's a great moment (laughs) in Darkhold where she just somehow goes into a closet and comes out in, like, full U.S. Army, like, fatigues, but sexy U.S. Army fatigues because it's a 90s thing. She looks like Electra in, like, camo and has, like, guns and stuff. It's great. It's like she's covered in pouches. She looks like an X-Force character. She even abruptly. makes jokes about it where she's like, Yeah, so because she's like, what have I become? No. Yeah. <laughs> I just think there's so much potential there. I think you lean into the fact that she is a doctor. Yes. The compassion and morality that's kind of under a veneer. Also, Morning Nash. Like, we've never seen that Yeah. Language. And if have Nash her is visit gone, Nash's then, grave. Yeah. Have her just talk about it. Anything. If it's many Calderon, Manuela from the Garner series or someone else, whoever her love interest would be now, have them be like, why are you so emotionally unavailable? And have her be like, well, the love of my life was crippled in a terrible assassination attempt on me and then died after a long period of difficult disability that she worked through and she refused to let me heal her. her funeral like because yeah I wasn't allowed to go to the funeral because her parents hate me or whatever like things like that would be cool and would get at the experience of gay people of the early 90s like Victoria Montesi because oh I wasn't allowed to go see my partner in the hospital is very much like it's sliding time scale but because of the way the plot rolled out you can still hit that note yeah 
I think that that's what you do, though. I think that you bring the Midnight Suns back. And, like, Blade is back in a big way. Whoever is Ghost Rider right now, I feel like it keeps changing. But, like, whoever happens to be Ghost Rider, like, throw them in there. Bring Robbie in, because he didn't really get to do too much crossover stuff. And, like... And he would be a fun, younger character for her to mentor in the way that... that character, so... I would love it. Bring back Jinx, who's now like in his 20s and is like an accomplished sorcerer. Jinx like, can that be would gay be cool. too. Like he could have like a whole journey. Sure. Bring back Louise Hastings as a ghost. Yes. Yes. Please. There's lots of stuff you could do that would be really cool. Yo, if like Vicky just all of the time had like Louise Hastings like in the back of her head or something, I would. If that's her power, that would if her power cool. is that Louise is like connected to her from the other side and she gets it. like message like Agatha Harkness and Wanda style yes, like yes. that would be cool you'd have to be careful you yeah. wouldn't like you have to be careful with not turning Louise into like yes a mammy type oh character God, but she's so not that yeah that if you characterized her properly and she was herself I don't think it would come across and that, that could be like and it's like you could use it as like an entryway to bring Louise full-time back like Agatha Harkness again yeah. like you find ways to bring these characters back they're magical like yeah. you can do it yeah. We just had some other ideas that I'm going to cut from the episode, not because I don't <laughs> love you, patrons, but because, again, Sarah and I would probably like to pitch this to Marvel at some point. So, yes. you know, stay tuned. That's sort of my answer is I do think there is a path forward for these characters. Like, imagining her as the Charlie to, like, bring back the witches and have them be the angels uh, and Victoria's Charlie. Like, I that die. would be great. Yeah, that's you so know? amazing. So there's lots of stuff you could do that would be really fun. Luke Reddick asks, what is Victoria Montesi's theme song? <laughs> oh, my God. Um, so we got to think 90s, right? And we got to think that this girl's out here listening to Riot Girl. <laughs> like, I feel like, yeah, I feel like Vicky would have like a combination of like Riot Girl and like classical music always like she's one of those with like the wide ranging taste. Mm-hmm, eclectic. Eclectic. I feel like she listens to, like, opera and, like, Sleater the Indigo Kenny. Girls and yeah. Bikini Kill, you know? Yeah. Yeah. What would be a good one for Vicky? Because we are looking at, like, an evil book, and I know that there's many songs about evil books, but I don't know if that era has any of them. Yeah. So mine is not 90s, but I feel like it has the vibe. And it's funny, because this is actually a really prominent song on my Madeline Pryor playlist. Yeah. But... Spellbound by Susie and the Banshees. Oh, good. Yeah, that's good. Because that's sort of like pre-Riot Girl. Like that's 1981. But I feel like the Riot Girl movement was very like influenced by Susie and other artists. Yeah, like goth in general. Yeah, like the goth and punk artists of that time. So I feel like it's sort of like pre-Riot Girl, but has the vibe. And it also is just like literally about being corrupted by evil magic, but also like kind of being empowered by it. It's my Goblin Queen song. And I realized when I got this question, I was like, oh, it's actually also a really good Vicky Montesi song. It would be like less foreboding with her. With her, it would be like I'm embracing my power in a way that is good, not <laughs> not in a way that is destructive. Yeah, I think you might have nailed it. I'm kind of like looking through my playlist right now and being like, what would Vicky listen to? Yeah. I think it has to be like Susie. She would be a huge Susie fan, right? She like, would be a huge Susie that fan. That only makes sense. Yeah, no, like massive. I also just think that she really would have like wide ranging taste. She might like a PJ Harvey jam. That might be one. I was, that was my other thing was like PJ Harvey, who was my favorite artist when I was a person in the 90s. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, and sometimes now, you know. <laughs> and still is. I mean, I've seen her live like four times. Yeah, she's great. 
and every album is unique and brilliant in a way that I think that Vicky would appreciate. That's the thing. Like if you have eclectic taste, like there are no two PJ Harvey albums that sound particularly alike. And yeah. that is what's interesting about her as an artist, among other things. But it's, yeah, it seems like um, Vicky would have bought every one of those albums, like limited edition colored vinyl, like would yeah. have like the whole library. To Bring You My Love is a very Vicky album, particularly, it's funny, this was my big Cordelia Chase song when I had a Cordelia Chase playlist, but The Dancer from To Bring You My Love, where it's like about this girl who is basically lied to by God, right? Like that's sort of... The- yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I remember this one. I was trying to think too, like that song, what is it, like Catherine or whatever? I was just Catherine from Is This Desire. Where That's she's a great just one. like mumbling, but like the whole time you're just like, ah. And mumbling to a female lover. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Like, yeah, definitely. I was thinking about that. Um, but I think just in general, PJ Harvey and Susie would be like her two. Those faves. would be my touchstones. I'm glad we're in like mind melded on that yeah. because I had the same thought. Last question, Levi writes, what is it about magic-related characters where Marvel seems so much more okay with making them queer? Is it because for a while they kind of wanted their magic line to appeal to Vertigo readers back in the late 90s and early 2000s? And I think even earlier than that, we're talking about the early 90s, but yes, that's exactly what it is. This was a mature line for adult readers. And also, again, you had, in this case, a queer creator who was pushing for it, and they let him do it in this mature reader's horror book as opposed to like horror as a genre has always allowed for queer sexuality more than I mean I'm not you know Sarah Century noted horror writer and critic also like lesbianism in horror is old as the hills yeah 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 for sure actually one of the first major published works that I had was talking about how like usually by lesbians either way is like always viewed super weird in horror but also how there's a lot of empowering stuff there yeah it's always like carmilla type stuff is like the baseline but then it can go to really interesting plays like suspiria type stuff oh yeah you know interesting oh it gets super interesting and then it's like either way sometimes that's just what you have to work with so you like it anyway (laughs) like i know as a kid i was watching those like lesbian vampire movies and being like exactly right this is problematic but does it matter you know (laughs) i love vampires because vampires are gay yeah super gay you know yeah and i think that there's like a there's a tendency for people to be like oh well gay people and vampires aren't like the same thing so that like equation is weird and it's like we know but like that's the point it was based on gay people (laughs) like hundreds of years ago like yes and also like specifically vampires burn in the sun because god has rejected them. yeah it's a queer narrative it's yeah. like you've been rejected by the church that's also vicky's narrative here yeah like, is it problematic for marvel's first lesbian to be a literal demon i guess if you want to see it that way but she thinks of herself as human yeah. was raised as a human has an unshakable moral sense Yeah, and it's a metaphor. Her father, the priest, hates her because she's a demon, but also because she's a lesbian. And that's textual on the page. Yeah, yeah, both. He's like, maybe if you'd listen to me about the Darkhold, she's like, I'm not having this conversation with you, yada, yada, yada. You know, I need to help my friend. And he's like, oh, your friend, the woman that you lived in sin with, like, you know, et cetera. So it's a really, it's good. It's good stuff. (laughs) I think that she should date Rachel Summers, maybe. Like, if Rachel and Betsy don't get together, which I'm hoping that they will, and I feel pretty good about my prediction. Yeah. 
then I think that Rachel could have a fling with Vicky Montesi. Oh, yeah, I think she would. Because Nash kind of looks like Rachel Summers. She does. And then I was also thinking, like, yeah, I don't really mind, like, shipping Vicky with almost anybody because at this point, I feel like she, though we've never gotten context for her getting over Nash. Right. So it's like almost any relationship that she would have right now, I don't know if I would feel like it was going to be, like, It wouldn't be, like, end game. It would be something to work her through. But I like her losing her end game person and then still having to date. Right. It's like the love of my life is dead. And now I have to find someone to be my partner, but I don't know if I can ever love like that really again. Is that fair to the people I'm dating? Like, there's all kinds of things you could get into there that would be interesting without being like tragic, maudlin, gay celibacy because the love interest died. You move on. And the thing is, like, listen, there are lots of people whose first spouse or first serious partner dies tragically and they end up with someone else who they also really love, but it is a different relationship. Yeah. You know, you're always going to have the context of the person I thought I was going to be with forever was taken from me. Yeah. That doesn't devalue your relationship with your subsequent partner, but it is a complication. It's something that's always there. And also, I think that isn't it a thing where, I mean, the way that Nash was hurt, I feel like Vicky maybe already was dating other people really early on before Nash passed away, right? And so Oh, probably, yeah. And, and feeling a lot of guilt about that, I'm sure. Even if Nash gave her a thumbs up, which I'm sure Nash would. Nash would, for sure. And it's just but like, but that's even She'd still feel shitty about yeah, it. Because yeah, because it's like that. So the fact that, like, you know, guilt around sex is, like, something that I think a lot of... It's like, it doesn't get addressed in a way that's really satisfactory towards queer people right it's like always like if a queer person feels like guilty or something like that then they're like criminalized or like whatever along those lines the fact is is a lot of us grow up with people telling us that what we're doing is not correct and and Mm -hmm. like there's something wrong with you vicky definitely grew up that way so it's like she's already gonna have like guilt around sex i would think like right in some ways and then it's like then to compound it even further so it's like, I feel like she's dealing with stuff that like we have never seen even play out on the page. So I would love to get into that stuff because I think it makes her more complicated. I absolutely agree. And I think the bottom line is this is a nuanced, fascinating lesbian character that Marvel has had in its roster since 1992. She is a classic <sighs> character at this point. And there's no good reason not to use her. I think that they should. And I think that we should pitch it. So stay tuned, I guess. Because now now I'm committed, actually. Because yeah. we've committed it to audio. Yeah, now it's time to make some phone calls. Yeah. <laughs> Is there anything else you want to say about Vicky before we start to wrap up? Just that she's such an interesting character, I guess. And that there's this way that everything around that time period kind of forms around her because there's like all of the Midnight Sun stuff, like the Lilith stuff, all of the stuff with the dark hole. I think it's so interesting what a central character she is and then Mm -hmm. how she's just not anymore. And that is always a little weird, but I also love that she had that time period. And I love the work that Christian Cooper puts into her. Like, I think that Absolutely. there's so much payoff on that, on her story. It's such a great arc it's so from good. one to 16. It's so good. It's like emotionally devastating. There's genuine horror in it. Like the spaghetti, <laughs> the spaghetti monsters. Oh yeah. Horrible. Horrible. I loved it. Like there was so much genuine horror. There's tons of nods to television of the time and popular mm-hmm. culture of the time. 
it ages so well. Like it's one of those books where it's like I read it like recently again and was just like, God, this was so good. Like, yeah, I reread that whole trade for this episode and I was just like, God, this book is still so fucking good. Yeah. And it's been 30 years next year which is crazy it really is just almost like a perfect horror comic because you know they he just nails it like he really does yeah i think that that was a big part of why she was such an interesting character i appreciate that the character like the people who have written her going forward often put her personality to the forefront so i don't think she's been buried in the way that a lot of like female characters Mm -hmm. like jennifer kale like you don't see any spark of like that like who she used to be sometimes right. whenever she pops up now satana's whole characterization is like a varies wildly by writer yeah 100 yeah. percent. whereas i think vicky always is vicky and i really do appreciate that well it helps that only like three people have ever written that's her, it i'm you like know? if you were gonna mess it up like i'm glad you just bypassed it and didn't do it yeah. you know because it's like it's almost better for her not to be there at all than to have like all of these like terrible stories sometimes but also, I miss those stories. Like, I wish that those stories would have happened, even if I kind of hated them. Even if I would hate them, I wish that they were there yeah. and that we could read them. Yeah, because yeah. we'd have more to talk about. It's like, we did have a lot to talk about with this because having, like, the first Marvel lesbian, like, that's a huge deal. Huge. But it's like, you want her to be around more because of that. <laughs> like it's Right. She should be an important character in the Marvel Universe. Yeah, even if just for that. But she's also, like, worked into the inner workings of the Marvel Universe in this way that is, like, yeah. Why is she? Kathan gone? is a big deal. She's the daughter of Kathan. I know. I was like, so does that make things? Wanda her uncle? <laughs> I couldn't tell. I was like, what's happening here? But now I want to see them hash it out. You know, like uh, yeah. it's just kind of a frustrating character, but in a way that I'm willing to go back for again and again. I guess. Yeah, I just want more. I yeah. want more, and uh, I'd love for us to write it. So I'll just leave it at that. Let's go. But. <laughs> For now, why don't you tell the listeners, you know, what you got going on, where to follow you, anything coming up before October when we reconvene for candy. That's right. We are coming back for candy. And that is, I'm looking forward to it. Lighting candles, completely ready. But I can be found on Twitter at Sarah Century. That's usually where you're going to find most of my updates. There is also the at Queer Spec account, which you can follow also on Instagram um, which is the independent publishing company that I co-own with S.E. Fleenor and the Bitches on Comics podcast. So if you like the sound of my voice, it is everywhere. So you can... It's a great podcast. I was on it yeah. recently or a couple months ago. Yeah. I guess more than a couple. Time it's, is... Oh my God. In, I don't understand time anymore. Right. And we went we went really hard on Pride interview. So yeah, like right it was before, in June. Yeah. It was like right before it, right? I thought. But, um, no, no, you're right. It was right before. It was, we recorded right before, and then I think it was one of your Pride Month releases. And we talked to so many queer creators, queer critics, and stuff like that. I think we get these really good conversations going. And then we also do listener questions. So that's Bitches on Comics. Um, and I just had my my horror story, A Small Light, played on the No Sleep podcast. So Very cool. It's so cool. And I was... Uh, I've listened to like every episode of that podcast because I'm a big horror buff, as you know, but it Mm -hmm. made me very excited to have other people read that story. So um, it was like uh, season 16, episode 16. I have a story that's like right in the middle. 
if you want to read more about lesbians and horror, <laughs> there's definitely <laughs> a couple in that story. And you recently wrote an article about Vicky and the Midnight Suns. Yeah, for Comic Book Herald, I did a, a like a reprisal of the Midnight Suns crossover, which to me honestly mm-hmm. remains golden because as a Ghostwriter fan, like the interactions between Blaze, <laughs> Johnny Blaze, who's not a ghostwriter anymore. Who's not ghostwriter at the, the time. And the separated right. ghostwriter. Like they both have this like really fun dynamic that I just like absolutely eat up. And then of course, uh, Lila through that whole thing, I think is so fun. Mm, it's she's so like, fun. She's like, what is this speed metal you call it? I like it. <laughs> and I'm like, yes, <laughs> you would she's listen just to a lot metal. of fun. I love her like weird mesh bodysuit. Like she's just very, it's very much like, yes, I am a primordial goddess. However, I also, it's 1992 and I'm a sexy goth girl. (laughs) So it's like funny. I love her. But yeah, I do articles for Comic Book Herald every now and again. And it's always fun to work for them. There's a lot of great writers working for that site. So I recommend just looking around, I guess. They do a lot of omnibus uh, reviews. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you, as always, for being my guest. It's super fun to chat with you. This is the second bonus episode of August. I will, I swear to God, have four out this month so that we're all caught up because I couldn't do the ones in June and I feel bad because it's Patreon content. But we will be caught up. This is two of four. And I that means basically, guys, you're going to get a whole fucking mess of episodes at the end of the month. And it's just going to be so much of my voice in your ears so enjoy i i hope you guys know where to follow me you're in the patreon so you don't need me to give you the whole rundown sign up for my patreon that you're on yeah right but thank you so much as always for your support the patreon is of huge assistance to me in my commission only job so it's it's just been really nice to have a steady like additional income stream that is modest but exciting yeah so thank you please tell your friends about cerebro about the patreon i think i've got fun content coming up i'm hoping to get alex abad santos on to do something cute for a bonus soon and just other stuff coming so stay tuned more will be incoming and until next time everybody thank you for listening and bye bye